Tēnā koutou no mai haere mai. Welcome to Q&A. I'm Jack Tay. <sighs> Have you caught your breath yet? It has been yet another extraordinary week in New Zealand politics. But let's put aside the crushing puns for the time being. What is Judith Collins' vision for New Zealand? We are the right party to help bring that you know, bring, bring about um, basically economic recovery. That's what we're after, and it's going to be a very clean, fast campaign. New Zealand First Leader Winston Peters is here too. Can he pull off a massive election year resurgence? And how the Cook Islands want to profit from being a COVID-free paradise? Because we're a COVID-free country, we've had a lot of approaches from um, New Zealand companies and other companies around the world looking at the possibilities of establishing themselves it has been another seven days of upheaval for the National Party. We understand our interview with Nikki Kay this time last week was the last straw for National's short-lived leadership team. Of course, Todd Muller resigned, Nikki Kay and Amy Adams have announced they're leaving politics, and nine weeks before the election, National has a new leader. Judith Collins has wasted no time reorganising her caucus and releasing some ambitious policy. She's with us this morning. Kia ora, good morning. Oh, good morning, Jack. Let's begin with policy and how nice to have some policy finally to discuss in this campaign. So your infrastructure package will cost $31 billion. Mm -hmm. You're planning tunnels through the Kaimai and Brunduwin ranges. Those tunnels are uncosted. Mm -hmm. There are no geotech reports. Isn't this exactly the kind of policy you have criticised Labour for in the past? No, actually it's visionary policy. So the costings are in relation to the roads and the ferries and what we're saying there. But when you're talking about those tunnels, it's going to take probably eight to ten years just to do the geotech work and all the planning that goes into it. And I, I suppose we could come up with a number for what might happen in 10 to 20 years time but actually I think most people would realise that that is just uh, that that would be ridiculous because there's still the work that has to be done but we have to have a vision for this country we've always been so miserly with our infrastructure we build something after we need it not before we need it and I think New Zealanders want to know that there is actually going to be infrastructure through our country that's going to make us um, much more economically viable as a country much stronger much much richer um, and actually a lot easier to get around and particularly around Auckland with the congestion that we know all know about. Okay I want to go through some of the costings for this plan mm -hmm. you are a party that says it has costed everything mm -hmm. robustly so in your budget 6.2 billion dollars in funding will come from reallocated funding which essentially means cancelled projects what are you going to cancel? The light rail ghost trains to the airport from the Auckland CBD. That's how, how, much, how much money has been, has been forecast for that? So there's about, there's, there's about 1.8 billion out of the ATAP um, funding, right. but then there's another uh, funding in the out years for the actual building of it. So that actually totals about 6 billion, although Shane Jones thinks it's about 10 billion. Okay. But it's about 6 billion. So, so, so 1.8 billion dollars no, no, has no, been allocated? No, 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 that's just the immediate from the ATAP. Right. There's the out years, so we're looking 10 years. And I know that Grant Robertson, the Minister of Finance, is very upset and doesn't want me talking about that, but $6 billion in total. This has nothing to do with Grant Robertson. I just want to check your numbers. So, <laughs> no. so you've got $6.2 billion, you say, is going to come from cancelled projects. Yep. Mm -hmm. But from, from what I can see, there is only $1.8 that has been allocated no, no. at this stage. No, no, that's six, no, $6 billion over 10 years. So that's actually the whole light rail project. So... It's not 1.8 billion to build that light rail in total. But it's, it's seed about funding. six billion. The allocated funding, the 1.8 billion dollars, is seed funding, isn't it? It's and seed. It's not. It's not building it. Okay. okay. <laughs> but but the, the government has been pretty clear that that they are looking at using third-party funding mechanisms to fund the light rail. 
So you put in the $1.8 billion and then they go to third parties, be it the super fund or any yeah. other project, just let me finish, yeah, to, to, to fund the rest of the project. No, they've been very clear about that. No, no, they've been very clear that they want to have Ghost Trains the airport. I'm telling you no, this. No, 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 no. Jack, Jack, let me finish here, please. The funding that they are talking about, the $6 billion mm. in total, that's because they've cancelled all these big roading projects. They cancelled the east-west link. They cancelled the roading projects that we put in place. No, they are not just talking about other funding. They're talking about they cancelled these projects. I attended meetings with the mm. construction people, um, civil construction people, about the east-west link when we first came into opposition. The government had come and cancelled that whole east-west link. Yeah. All these contractors lost money, lost opportunities, lost staff okay. because this government did that. I, I want to talk about your plans, though. Yes. So, so I'm going to page 21 of the Auckland Transport oh, Alignment oh, Project, God. right? I haven't brought it along with me. Delivering <laughs> light rail on these corridors will yeah. require significant investment, but yeah. also provides a substantial opportunity to explore third-party funding and financing mm. arrangements. As a result, an allocation of $1.8 billion is proposed that will be used to leverage funding and financing to progress both corridors over the next decade. You are looking to reallocate $6.2 billion in funding when only $1.8 billion has been allocated in the first place. No, it's that's the ATAP one. It's not all the funding from the Land Transport Fund that they've also whipped up. Uh, they've made it clear. This no, is, they're relying that's, on that's third party ATAP. funding here. Well, I'm I'd, very aware of that it's ATAP, but they're, they're, going for, they're, they're going from the third party funding. I'm telling you, they can rely on anything they like. These guys can't build anything. And I'm very clear that they've taken money off the Land Transport Fund to put into this. We're very, very clear that we will fund what we need to, and we are not going to do light rail to the airport. But I know you're not doing light rail to the airport, yeah. but I want to see how you've got to that $6.2 billion figure. Because the, the $6.2 billion includes the $1.8, but it also includes all the funding coming through now, the Land Transport Fund, which they these people, the Labour-led government, whatever mm. they are, um, they have actually taken funding off roads and they've put it into rail. We've been very clear that the rail but funding will be coming allocated. from the Crown of Funds. It hasn't been allocated. This is the point. You are saying we are going to reallocate money from money that hasn't yet been allocated as Crown expenditure. We're talking ten years out. The no, I know, of I know, but, but, but is normally in four-year, four-year budget. Well, that hasn't stopped yeah. you from doing a ten-year budget here because we've got a vision. Okay, and we're telling you where it's going to come from. So no, no, you're not. This is yeah, the point. You, you're saying you're going to reallocate. You, well, you've come up with a six point two billion dollar figure when only one point eight billion dollars has been allocated in the first well, place. There was a four, more than four billion dollar gap there. Funding comes from the Land Transport Fund, which comes from fuel taxes and road user charges mm -hmm. and everything else. So. It is costed. We've done more in costing than any opposition has ever done. And I tell you, the money is there. The fact is, is that we understand uh. that New Zealanders don't want a dopey ghost train to the airport. But they, they do, well, they want, do want their though, roads, they do their want ferries and their public costing. transport. They do want costing. This doesn't <laughs> add up. I mean, anyone can see it. You're supposed to be the party that, that, that can, can balance a spreadsheet. Yeah, this doesn't add up. You're entirely wrong. It does add up. We, you're, looking at the, you're looking at the ATAP part of it for contribution. You're not looking at the funding that comes from the Land Transport Fund through road uh, taxes. And that's exactly what I'm looking us. at. Well, you're not. OK. Let me ask you um, about another funding arm then. You yes. are planning on cancelling the, the, the current... Um, uh, petrol tax in Auckland, yes. which raises about $150 million a year. So over 10 years, that's $1.5 billion. But you're still relying on that funding for your infrastructure projects. Mm. 
So how does that work? If you're cancelling the tax, how will you continue to fund those programs? We're looking at um, issues such as, with, uh, along with Auckland Council, mm. things like congestion charges, but that's along with Auckland Council. We can't just do it ourselves. We'd have to work with them on that. A congestion tax, the, when would that come in? Well, once we've actually talked to the Auckland Council about how we would do that. But I mean, you, you, if you but, said, no, no, you, know, you said in your first 100 days you're going to cancel the petrol no, tax. No, we absolutely cancel Okay, it. in the first yeah. 100 days, but so you're going to have to, you've well, got a shortfall immediately. Well, eventually, it comes through, eventually. No, no. I Your plan says in the first 100 days you're going to cancel the petrol tax, yes, right? Yes, yeah. Okay, so in the first 100 days, mm -hmm. so that means that if you're making $150 million a year, you're going to have an immediate shortfall unless you make it up They're very quickly. They're not even spending that fuel tax right now. The Auckland regional fuel tax is currently I'm, unspent. I'm asking about your plans though. You, 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 you've budgeted $150 million a year. Well we don't, we don't need to have that when we have things like, for instance they're not even using it at the moment Auckland, we've got $300 million going straight away into things that the council can spend now, such as fixing their potholes and their roads and the, you, you know what You haven't answered my question though. How, how, much, how much is, it, is a congestion tax going to be in central Auckland? Because it hasn't been decided yet with the Auckland Council. We're not going to enter into negotiations with the Auckland Council before we're But if the you have a funding shortfall of $150 million a year that's going to come into place within your first 100 days in government, you're going to have to make that up very that, quickly. That regional fuel tax goes to the Auckland uh, region, the Auckland Council. Not, not, it's not part of the, the whole government mm. plan on everything. And the fact is it's not even being spent now. Let me ask about the so-called sky path. It yes. is ready to be started. This is, of course, the pedestrian path over, over uh, the Auckland Harbour Bridge. Yeah. You say you support cyclists and pedestrians being mm. able to make their way from central Auckland to the North Shore. So how will they do that? Well, we, we plan on building tunnels, but we also have things like ferries that people can take their bikes over or walk Hang on, things. the tunnels aren't but, going to be done for 13 years? No, but they're, going to, they're planned. If you put the sky path, which is $360 million, and you're attaching this onto a structure, the Auckland Harbour Bridge, which at the moment, as we know, is not as robust as we would all love. That, is, that was built in 1957. So How's that going to solve much? I, and the other thing is... So we're waiting 13 years, though. That's that Under well, your plan, that's, just to be clear, cyclists and pedestrians have to wait 13 years. Yeah. Okay. But um, we'll put more ferries in. Okay. Let me ask um, about climate change. There, there is no oh, mention. Okay. Huh? No, well, there's no mention. There's no mention in your transport yeah. and infrastructure plan mm -hmm. of climate change anywhere. You talk mm -hmm. about the need to invest for the future, mm -hmm. but we know that the increased use of fossil fuels will have a significant impact on the changing climate. Why not mention it? Is it because you don't take climate change seriously? Well, of course we do, and that's why we're talking so much about public transport, ferries, electric vehicles, all the things that we put in. I mean, remember this current government? They said they were going to have all their their government vehicles, or most of them in electric vehicles, and I think they've bought about 30 in that time. I mean, the fact is, is that we are looking at new infrastructure where we can have smart technologies, things like the automated trains, all a lot sorts of roads. Of and there's a lot of trains. And actually, you know what? Electric vehicles travel on roads. Jacinda so Ardern <laughs> said uh, climate change is the nuclear free issue of this generation. Yeah, yeah. Do you agree with that? No, I think the nuclear free issue of this generation is actually the economy. We have, we are facing in New Zealand and in the world a massive Great Depression if we don't get things right. 
we are, we are so lucky with the fact that we are going to be investing so much infrastructure that we can take climate change into that whole infrastructure um, think and what we do with it because we have the opportunity to put new technologies, use those, all the sorts of things we want to do. Mm. So we are going very electric in our vehicles, we know that. And the fact is, is that we are the, the government, we were the government that actually started that and the current government's done nothing you, on you it. Want, I know that you want the Climate Change Commission to consider the economic impacts mm, of climate yeah. policy. Does that mean that all of your policy making will consider the economic impact of not adapting to climate change? We will always consider a balanced approach because I will not beggar this country and our people just mm. so that we can go off to Paris or anywhere else and skite about how New Zealand farmers have been done in or whatever. If we didn't have our agriculture side, and by the way, they're adjusting very well to um, climate issues and, and doing what they can, if we didn't have that, we'd have nothing. So that at means the moment. you won't. When it comes to policy making, no, no, no. no that, that was not, yeah. The question I asked you was whether or not you would consider the impact of not, the economic impact oh, yes, of, of not adapting to climate change in all of your policy making. Well, of course we look at that, yes, on the economic side. But I tell you what, what I will not do mm. is I will not put one... I always have to have balance because mm. you can't do anything without people being in jobs and people being able to have the money to do what Farmers we need to do. Farmers are affected by climate change as well. Of course they are. They're the, they're the people at the very front mm. end of it. That's why they actually welcome sensible policy, mm. but they, they shouldn't be the enemies in this. They are actually the, the champions. Do you want to charge Kiwis who are arriving back for the quarantining? Do you know, I want us to have a fair system because I'm certainly hearing quite a lot from my constituents and others um, that they want to see some fairness. We also have, a com we need, it also needs to be compassionate. Can't, you know, it's fair, compassionate, but also New Zealand taxpayers at the moment are losing their jobs through no fault of their own. So, so what is and a fair system? Have that. Well, Jerry Brown is going to be announcing it all this afternoon. $3,000? Jerry Brown is yeah, it's around about that, but obviously with some exemptions. Jerry's going to be announcing it all. He's got all the detail, mm. and he's the spokesman on it. We look forward to that. Last time National yes. was in power, there was a housing crisis that is mm. still being <laughs> fixed. Growing inequality, kids living in cars. Why should we expect National to do better once it's back in government? It hasn't been fixed at all. In fact, it's got worse. When we left office, we had just under 5,000 families mm. on the State House waiting list, and that was, that was pretty bad. We, we were not happy with it. It is now over 15,000 families on the State House waiting list. So why should we Labor promised, to do better? Labor promised not to, not to sell State Houses. It's not true. They've sold them. They're, they're buying them. Because we will sort the RMA, we will sort what happens when it comes to things like holding I mean, back development. promising to sort the RMA. No, no, no. For, well, for, okay. as, as, All right. no for, we've never as promised. As long as it's we've existed. We've never promised before to get rid of it and put in, fact, in place an Environmental Standards Act, which is absolutely crucial, mm. at the same time a Development and Planning Act. We are holding ourselves back as a country if we don't take these big opportunities. Have you ever leaked to the media? Oh, I've certainly talked to you, Jay. Uh, Jack, Jack, sorry. Jack's my name. Jack, James. <laughs> <laughs> Jack, yes. No, no, have, have, you, have you leaked um, to the media? I think I probably have on occasion. What did you leak? I probably leaked how much I thought um, you were doing such an excellent job. No, what did you, what did you say? I don't know, leaked? I don't know, actually. And I don't believe you. you. What, what? I can't even remember what it was. Um, but well, I then do, how do you know you've leaked? Well, I presume I've probably talked to somebody. Why? Well, I just, it's interesting that you are... But never out of caucus, never out of caucus, never out of cabinet. Have never, you, have ever. You, have, you ever, have you ever leaked... Mm against the wishes of a party leader? I can't actually tell that, actually. 
I can't if, remember. If there are journalists watching this right now yeah. whose backs are up and whose yeah. ears are pricking up right now, yeah. will you... Um, Will, will you give up any expectation of source anonymity? Will you waive that? Why? Because you're demanding that your caucus colleagues and, and that the National Party caucus at the moment doesn't leak. Well, you, you're, demand, you're demanding sorry, that... I have not demanded anything. I'm saying So it's OK if they leak well, against they do what you. they like. I don't care. I mean, the fact is, is that we are on to win. I don't care no, about you're, you're demanding people... absolute loyalty. No, I didn't. Win. Yeah, uh, th this week when? you have, absolutely. Well, I didn't. I've just said if people don't want to be with us, they don't have to. There's opportunities for them elsewhere. I'm very, mm. very clear on this. If people want to win, they know we have a plan, we, they know that we have a leader and we have a team, mm. and if we want to win, we have to stick together. But the fact is, is that every MP talks to people in the media. I mean, for goodness sake, that's part of our job. But... Let's just be really clear too, is that I'm not worrying about internal stuff. I'm okay. not worrying about that. I'm after this country having a better government and I'm going to lead it. Well, what role will Winston Peters play in that? He, he's <laughs> waiting in the wings. We'll be speaking with him in a couple of minutes. I know at the moment the caucus position is that you would not work with Winston Peters, but be honest with us. If it gets to the morning after the election, and you're facing another three years in opposition or potentially forming a coalition government with Winston Peters, you would make that call, wouldn't you? It's always up to caucus. And the thing is, Jack, is I would never, ever go against my caucus on this. I am the leader of the caucus, mm. but I'm also its first amongst equals. I'm there because they asked me to be there, and I'd never disrespect that. Tina Thank you very much Thank for you. your time. Looking forward to the election campaign ahead. Up next, is this Winston's last waltz? New Zealand First is fighting for its future. I'm saying that come that night, the phone calls will be coming to New Zealand First as they have every other election that I've been engaged in. Hoki Mayanor, welcome back to Q&A. It takes a brave political pundit to bet against Winston Peters, but whatever polls you consider, the numbers don't look great at the moment for New Zealand First. The party launches its campaign today, and leader Winston Peters is with us this morning. Tēnā welcome to Q&A. Good morning. I want to begin with Nationals' transport and infrastructure plans. What do you think of the plan? Well, it's breathtaking. It's Peter Pan. It's on the never-never. It's meant to be called a vision, but actually it's a nightmare. When you're talking about tunnelling the Kaimais and uh, the Brenduins, on which they just spent $22 million, the last national government did, doing the north side up, what a brave waste of money that was if that's what their plan is in the future. But it's uncosted, and some of it goes to 2040. Now, with the greatest respect, you're in opposition, you're the new leader for a few days, and you're talking about governing into 2040? Pretty, pretty uh, surreal, so to speak. The last time you were on Q&A, we were talking about the Trans-Tasman bubble. I know at that time you were hoping to have the bubble up and running by July. Things in Australia have changed. What is the time frame you are working to at the moment? When might we see some form of the Trans-Tasman bubble? Well, first of all, look, it's really sad uh, in terms of Australia, and Victoria in particular. But I've been talking to the Premier of uh, Tasmania, and mm. he texted me just the other day, and we're having a conversation in the next 24 hours because that was always the best place to open. Tasmania is safer and safer as New Zealand. We used to fly between our two countries. Why is that important? I know that populations are small, but it would be a test for, say, Queensland to join. Mm. 
Uh, and our problem is we're being stopped by the tragic failure of Australia. And uh, at the present time, unless we go state to country, it won't work. What is the likelihood that we can go state to country? We could have gone to Tasmania a month ago. Mm. That's my point. But, but I know the Australian federal government has opposed doing state to country. So, so well now, yes, but, but uh, Scott, Morrison's, Scott Morrison's had to accept just of late that his country to country mm. concept is has Australia with a huge leg rope of failure in Queens and in mm. Victoria. So state by state may be the best way to go. He's starting to talk like that now. Okay, w with you. No, no, he's talking to the Prime Minister, but I've always talked to my counterpart in Reese Payne mm. and with um, uh, state governments because I always believed state by state was the only way to go, particularly when they weren't going interstate no. in Australia. So, so when, when do you think might be a realistic time frame with the best information you have available at the moment? And I appreciate that this is a changing... Look, I don't want to give you bureaucrat talk. I can tell you frankly now, I can't see any reason at all why we haven't opened with Tasmania. Mm. But could we have travel between New Zealand and Tasmania by the end of the year? No, I say we could have done it a month and a I half know, ago. I know we could have, but, but in terms of the bureaucracy in Australia. Well, if we're going to be, uh, let ourselves be constrained by bureaucracy, when at a critical time okay. of our tourism we need to get things going, then it comes down to saying to the Australian federal government, will you allow these two states to open up? Yes or no? What about other places? We have a story on shortly about the potential between travel between New Zealand and the Cook Islands. Yeah. Might that be possible soon? Well, again, there's no reason why it shouldn't have started now. And the reason is the constraint. And we can all give our excuses, but the constraint mm. has been Pacific Trans-Tasman bubble first in the Pacific. Well, the Trans-Tasman bubble is handicapping our progress. So let's go with, for example, Niue and the Cook Islands for a start. When might that be up and running? Well, there's no reason why that couldn't have started a month ago as well. So when might it be up and running? <laughs> I'm not in control of that. Other forces are. I'm giving you my best shot. I'm not obfuscating. I'm not ducking the issue. I'm saying at this critical time with COVID-19, experience and decision-making based on fundamental facts mm. are needed, not bureaucracy and delay. OK. Let's talk about New Zealand first. Thank you very much. That's what I'm here for. I've been on your website. <laughs> Where's your policy? Where's our policy? Yeah, where's your policy? I've been on your website, there's nothing. Well, say something and ask me a question. No, no, no. I mean, well, I'm, tell, okay. I'm a voter watching this saying, okay. what is New Zealand's okay. policy? Okay. Here we go. Fantastic. We all talk about uh, the National Party and Paul Bennett going to Paris. Who's given Paris shape when it comes to climate change? We have. A billion trees. We've also made sure that we kept our farmers alive at our critical time in COVID-19 so that the so cost... I'm not asking about cost, what you've done. Well, I'm asking about what you're promising well, no, no, for this no, election. No, 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 Jack, you're going to have to be calm. Not like the last interview. Where you're all over I'm like a rash. In calm. this interview, you asked for a policy, and I've gone to the first one mm. climate change. We are the only Green Party in reality in this parliament because we put flesh around our dreams, not just talk. That's what we've done. But I, now, just, I don't even I, know what your dreams transport. are. Come on, transport. Okay. Come to transport. We've utterly revived Kiwi Rail at a critical time. Everybody now is saying, oh, this is fantastic. Even the National Party is talking about building on Kiwi Rail. They were driving into the ground. We've revived it. We're going to electrify it right around this country. Mr Peter, right? no, no, no. about what you've, you're, come what to, you've come done. To light I'm, rail I'm wondering Auckland. what you're promising for the future. I want to hear about your vision. Well, uh, here we go. You asked me for some policy and you won't let me tell you. Mm. Right here, this city is about to be paralysed with an idea called light rail. It is not $6 billion, It's $10 billion. Why are the proponents of light rail not telling you and every Auckland ratepayer the cost or the massive but, but what, will you, what will you build? I'm not asking about what you'll cancel or what you'll block. I'm asking about what you'll build. You asked me what my policy was. Policy. I've just given you three in a row. OK. Um, how should New Zealand go about paying off its debt? 
We're going to be owing about $170 billion by most projections, about 50%. There's only one way to pay off debt, make money. Okay, how would you build the New Zealand economy? Well, you build on your asset base, you add value. The great thing about COVID-19, if I can say, the only good thing about it has been there's been a massive rediscovery of the provinces. But which party was saying that from word go? In 2017, we put together the Provincial Growth Fund, we talked about the provinces, here comes COVID-19, and all of a sudden, all the neoliberals and all these people who were selling the... And I stopped, Jack. We're selling the provinces down the road, are all of a sudden, and sudden saying, oh, we've got to start rebuilding mm. the provinces. Yes, when did they think that? And how sincere is their belief on that? This is, this is a vast debt, though, isn't it? 50% of GDP. And, and to simply say, oh, we're going to grow the economy well, by, you, you, by doing well, value. I mean, we can't, we can't rely on, on Jack, immigration. Jack, Jack you can make a bull statement like that. It's a vast debt. Debt is not the issue. It's your capacity to pay it. Mm. That's what the issue is. I know countries, for example, that have got 83, 93% mm. debt against GDP. Germany is one country, mm. but Germany can repay their debt. I know countries that have got 43 that can't pay it back. Here's the point. On all the things of, to, to do with added value, real growth, smart uh, economics, smart business growth, mm. infrastructure expenditure based on depreciation allowances, one party screamed out mm. for that for years, and now it's getting in place. I understand from, from multiple sources that a deal for the government to buy the land at Ihumatau is as good as done, but at the moment False. you oppose it. False. OK, what's the situation at Ihumatau? Well, your statement right then is just false. OK, well, what is the truth? Well, there's no such deal. OK. No, no, I'll just give you the truth. There, Jack, is no... No, okay. no, stop now. Please don't have this campaign being run on shibboleths and half-truths. There is no such deal. I can go to Ihumatau now, mm -hmm. the people on the ground, the people that keep the, the, the place warm, the people who down the centuries in Māori law are the ones to be listened to, and they will tell me there is no deal. So please don't ask someone, no, no, someone who began his career in law defending European and Māori landowners, mm. that I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, no, I'm, I'm, that's not what I said. I, I simply want to know no, if, you, you, did if you oppose using, using Crown funds to buy land at Ihumatau. Now, I'm opposed to busting Treaty of Waitangi settlements. OK, if it was so under no, the no, Housing no. Act, so, no. so, so that it avoided any Treaty no, of Waitangi settlements? I'm opposed settlement. to busting Treaty of Waitangi settlements so that every past settlement mm. is now being reopened. Let me tell you something in this country, Faces, and you need to be warned. This country is a great country of five million people, but we need one standard of citizenship. Mm. We can't go, no, don't go, mm, 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 and speak Māori on TV and tell me so you understand. Let me tell you, Tena. the Māori in this country are screaming out for a thing called equality. And it's not paternalism, and it's not big government telling Māori that they know what to do. Okay. And it's not the Māori brown table creaming it off their own people while their people at the bottom get nothing. Let's return I understand to that. First. If someone donates money to your party, what do they get in return? Nothing. Your party's foundation and MP Shane Jones received tens of thousands of dollars in donations from Tally's Fisheries and the managing director, Sir Peter Tally. We know that New Zealand First opposed putting cameras on fishing boats. False. Okay. No, no, no false. So, so why did Stuart No, no, Jack, Nash... no, stop there. What? You're not going to... No, 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 I'm just going to read you a quote here no, from Stuart Nash. This, I don't this comes want from please, Michael no, please, Morris Jack. reporting. I don't want to come honey on here and argue with Winston but... Peters and Shane Jones have made it very clear they do not want cameras on boats. That's from February 2018. The Minister for Fisheries, Stuart Nash. Well, Mr Nash apologised and said he was wrong for saying that. He might Jack, have been no, wrong no, for no. saying that. Jack, it was a candid moment. Jack, you're not going to put away a falsity on this programme in the middle of this campaign and get away with it. Let me tell you why that is a lie. 
First of all, which was the party that put together the cameras on boats and the solution for the Maui Dolphin? You're looking at that party. 20 cameras on those boats did everything that had to be done to the satisfaction of everyone in this country. Go and Why look would at Stuart who... Nash say that? No, look, stop now. Why would he I'm say trying that? to give you the evidence. Very, I mean, he says, because he said he made a mistake and he wasn't telling the truth. He says Winston Peters and Shane Jones have made it very clear they don't want cameras on boats. Not just clear, very clear. And that was a candid moment. Jack, are you a slow learner? He just, I just said to you, you're repeating that. He said, I apologise, what I said was not true. Is that not good enough for you? I've just given you the Maui Dolphins the truth. That's not true. Okay. Second, can I go to the rest of the cameras on boats? We did not delay the cameras on boats. Again, he admits that when it came to the cameras on boats, two things were the problem. First was the massive cost, and we could get past that. But the second thing was they couldn't sort out well, where the information and how the information would be put together, and that's being worked on. So it's not a done... It's not a dead deal. It's just not now a done deal. And everyone who says otherwise is playing spreading mischief with malice. So why do you think people donate money to your party or your party's foundation? Well, why do they vote money to the National Party? Why has the National Party got millions? Why has the ACT Party got millions? That's a good question. Why do you no, think... No, because, well, hang on, I know offshore interests who are financing the National Party, and so do you. So, so, so why do you think people donate money? Because they want to subscribe to democracy. And if you thought that was an issue, how come the party with the least funds in every election you've ever okay. seen is a party called New Zealand First? Please don't come on this show and think you're going to get away with that sort of innuendo and defamation no, no, without me defending the truth. I'm not defaming you, Mr Peters. You are. You're um, why are you doing so poorly in the polls? Because we're not. How are you not? You're, you're at 1.8% according to the latest Colmar Brunton poll. I actually checked your polling from three years ago in the same poll at July ahead of the September election in 2017. You were at 11 points at this point in the campaign. You're at 1.8 now. You don't get it, Jack, do you? It's in 1993... Every poll excepting 2017 has got us dramatically wrong. In 2017, seven weeks from the, from the election, we'd mm. risen to 19% in the polls. The National Party, uh, Labour Party dropped their bundle, changed the leader, there was Jacinda Mania, and we didn't have a time to turn it around. Mm. That's the only exception in every election. You've okay. had, you, you've had average, polls, Jack. Your average from 10 polls in 2017, the Colmar Brunton polls, was 8.79, and you ended up on 7.2, so it was fairly close. No, no. Within no, about no, the margin no, of error. It was an absolute aberration. Your, your, your average this year is 2.67, with a sampling error of 1.4%. Do you know anything about politics, Jack? I know, I know a little bit about statistics. What and do a you know about, about, it? about politics? I know a little bit about it. My party's survived for 27 years. Mm being put down, traduced, marginalised and cinderellaised by you guys, okay. only for you to, on election night, want to climb through the door and ask me what's going to happen next. When it comes to coalition negotiations, how do you decide well, hang party on, to work with? If there are going to be coalition negotiations, on your court and your polls, there won't be any, so why ask the question? Do you accept that don't you it's unlikely you, don't, we have coalition negotiations? Jack, be, be a nice year. guy. Don't you believe your question? No, if, maybe you are the one who don't, don't <laughs> believe it. If you, you don't think you'll have a coalition negotiation this year? Yes, I do. OK. How do you make a decision when it comes to a coalition negotiation? I ask my colleagues and my board in serious conversations with the mm. party with the most votes first, but with the other parties as well, and we make a decision based on a stable government and mm. what's best for New Zealand. Don't it's, you the most, it's... it's the most difficult exercise, having to put aside your prejudice and the interests of the thing you've got to do, be mm. a public servant and, and serve so, your country. Don't you think it, it's important that your supporters know, before the election who you support in terms of the major parties, who you can and can't work with in a coalition. Well, that's an actual abomination to democracy. How that's so? The very, no, that's the, I'll tell you how so. It's the utter repugnance to democracy. On election day, the voter is king. Mm. The voter is sovereign. 
I'm going to wait till the voters speak before I make up some back room for, behind the but, door closed deal. But for voters That's to why make we're an different, informed Jack. decision, let's, let's go back to 2017 and the New Zealand election study. 3,000 people were surveyed. Of New Zealand first voters, 44% said they would have preferred you to go with a national government. 34% said they would have preferred for you to go with a Labour government. So you acted against the interests of people who voted for you. Jack, that's got to be the most shallow, sorry to say, the most shallow interpretation of politics. Those 34% or 44% mm. weren't in the room hearing what was on offer in the preservation of the party program and platform I campaigned on. I was in the room with my colleagues. I trust them to trust me to do mm. the best I could. Can okay. I just show you something here? Look, that's a oh. full page. No, that's a full page from yesterday's Herald. A full page of performance of uh, this party, New Zealand First, for the last three years. Okay. No party can match that performance. Let, let me ask you finally then. You, you, Interested, you, Jack? You recently have, um, have had some medical attention. How, how are you doing physically? I feel great. Fantastic. Thank you for asking. Oh, very good. Thank you for all your prayers when I was in hospital, by the way, because <laughs> God answered them, and so I'm so delighted. And know that you're interested. Well, I'm glad that you will be full of beans for the election campaign. I'm most certain he will Dean be. Akwe, Winston Peters, thank you for your time. Thank Send you. us your thoughts. We're on Twitter at NZQ&A. You can post on Facebook or email us Q&A at tvnz.co.nz. We will be talking about those interviews with our panel next and what it all means for the upcoming election. Judith Collins will challenge Jacinda Ardern to lead the next government to women to very different leaders. What will voters be looking for? And Cook Island's tourist operators are campaigning hard to get Kiwi tourists in. So what's the hold-up? This is desperate, and I, I think that, that one of the key issues is not knowing at all and not having a plan. Let's get on to this biggest infrastructure package in New Zealand's history. Oh, it's so much fun to be announcing this. It will transform our country. It will transform the Upper North Island. And it will transform Auckland. It was Judith Collins making her first policy announcement as leader of the National Party on Friday. Let's bring in our panel on Q&A this morning. Fran O'Sullivan, NZME's Head of Business, and Ephesal Collins, Auckland Councillor and Labour Party member. Tēnā kōrua. Good morning. Oh, what a week it has been. I just thought we could start by trying to take stock of the events of the last uh, seven days. Mm. What do you think, Fran, of, of Judith Collins as the new leader of the National Party? Was this destiny? Well, last, last uh, I could say man standing, but <laughs> <laughs> that's not, not correct. No, no. But, um, you know, leave aside the sexism, but... Um, uh, but no, I mean, it's her time, actually, and um, there was no one else um, of sufficient weight within that um, senior team, uh, mm -hmm. if, unless they were going to bring back Simon Bridges, which clearly wasn't the case. And so she's, she's taken the reins, mm -hmm. and um, I think she's done very well. She's been decisive, uh, even though she had the uh, resignation of two senior people mm -hmm. with Amy Adams and Nikki Kay. She still delivered at 10.30 that next morning with, actually, I think, quite an adroit reshuffle. She talked about what's wrong about being white, but at the same mm -hmm. time, she's elevated Māori, two on the front bench and one further up. So I think it's been good. Officer, what do you make of this week? They had to reorganise. They were looking desperate. Uh, and the, the announcement that came out on Monday, I think, took everybody by surprise. Just watching her when she came in uh, to the green room this morning, she, she was almost skipping in. She looks like a woman who has finally got her chance to be the leader. And she looks like she's prepared. She's excited. She's enthusiastic. And I think that's what the National Party need, because prior to that, anything else would have been mm. complete disorganisation. They need someone who's going to go 
go out there. And whether she can be the charismatic leader, not just the crusher leader, is now going to be up to the public for the next little while. That being said, she's been decisive, hasn't she? Yeah. And, and perhaps where Todd Muller struggled in those early few weeks with being a little indecisive, Judith Collins has undoubtedly been assertive. Yeah, I was telling her when we were in the room as well that I compared perhaps her leadership style to the way mm. Jerry Collins and I, and I played rugby straight up the middle. And I think that's what they needed. They need someone who's going to bring the team together. Look, mm. she's been very clear and demanding of her caucus that people aren't going to go off and talk. You ask the question in the interview. So she's the decisive leader that they need. It's now about can she also... She talked about compassion mm. as well in your interview. So I think she's trying to balance out where Jacinda Ardern has perhaps taken the nation mm. and how she needs a bit of that to bridge over to her de um, decisive nature. Let's talk about policy then. Fran, what did you make of the infrastructure promises? Well, um, unlike you, I um, actually do see the big picture in this and at this stage of the game I'm not prepared to um, nitpick on every element of it. I think what was important was sort of um, putting across a vision for infrastructure and a vision which um, unites um, you know, Tauranga, Hamilton, uh, Auckland and through to Whangarei to create this economic powerhouse. Mm. And it's something which has been done internationally. Uh, we saw it with, you know, really adventurous, um, uh, you know, projects in Copenhagen, for instance, linking through to mm. um, Sweden. So you create there, they created the greater Copenhagen area. And I think this greater Auckland area, once it is all knitted together, and it will take a decade or more, probably, you know, into mm. two, I think that's good. And I think we need that because we're very dispersed, mm. um, you know. And I think that actually was quite powerful. And if she can keep selling the economic upside for these projects, yeah. not just what they singularly might be. Yeah. Oh, to, to be clear, I, I have no problem with the, the vision itself, but rather the, <laughs> the funding. Right. Well, if it's the party, <laughs> it's the party that can apparently balance a spreadsheet. I mean, I think I think it's you know when you are talking about projects of this size, yeah. applying yeah. a little bit of scrutiny but to but the I funding. Think, yeah, but I think that, that's quite interesting too, because when you backtrack and you look at the kind of numbers that um, Labor initially put mm. up for light rail to the airport and this and that. And we had Winston Peters on here before. Mm. You know, well, in practice, this actually ended up nearer to 10 billion. So, you know, so these numbers are always a bit rubbery. They are moving. And I think yeah. really where the costings will come, uh, will come down the track, you'll have the Infrastructure Commission will also, you know, run mm. a ruler over it. And I think there are difficulties, obviously, geotechnical around Kaimai, which you brought up. Uh, through the tunnels. Mm. But I think the big thing is to think about, well, what is this vision in the longer term? And then what is it for the rest of the country? Um, you know. Yeah, because uh, that's an yeah. important point, isn't yeah. it? That actually yeah. part of that infrastructure spending, $31 billion, will be dedicated to Look, I've the seen South very Island. few projects come in on budget, to yeah. be honest. Mm, yeah, <laughs> ain't that the way. Uh, Fiesel, what do you make of the plan? Yeah, well, so she's trying to... I guess maybe this was her couple of days of having the leader honeymoon mm. stage, so she was getting away with just putting out a vision. They, they need to be scrutinised on the economic management mm. because they see themselves, and they're telling the, the public that they are the economic managers that you can trust. And so that scrutiny has to come. But I think to Fran's point, the vision has to be out there and then we can really start to challenge things. And that's where I think it could be a little bit unstuck mm. for them because mm. that's where the challenges will be. It's interesting to consider the sky path or the so-called yeah. sky path because yeah. the name seems to change all the time. This is, so this is the pedestrian um, causeway or path that would go over the Auckland Harbour Bridge, giving cyclists and pedestrians an opportunity to travel between the North Shore and central Auckland. Now, Judith Collins says, in principle, she supports people being able to travel like that, but she doesn't support the sky path, which is effectively ready to begin construction. So we would have to wait 13 years 
if National's plan came in on time before people could ride or walk through a tunnel. Yeah, and I think Judith Collins needs to understand that in the most recent consultation that NZTA did, more than 80% of people, over 11,000 submissions, supported the sky mm. path. It's ready to go. Mm. You, you asked her as well about no mention of climate change in the plan, and so they've got to get their messaging right. I just wonder if they're scrambling a bit to kind of come up with key messages so that they can look like they're a government in waiting. That's the, their challenge. Uh, who, who will Judith Collins appeal to as a potential Prime Minister, Fran? Is she going to be able to pick up perhaps some of that softer, centrist vote that might have bled over to Labour in the last couple of years? I think she'll appeal to men and, um, you know, and also centre-right uh, right of centre, there's been quite a big bleed to act. And a lot of people, you know, mm. from that um, persuasion actually have liked the messaging that David Seymour has given. He's been very clear, he's been very articulate, he stood for something, and in some ways he's been more effective opposition leader than, um, you know, the previous national people in recent times. Um, but so, you know, she's got to stop that bleed. Uh, she's got to get uh, some of that soft centre back. That will be harder. Um, that will be harder. But however, if people are concerned about their future and, you know, jobs will start mm. to be um, falling by the wayside now as the subsidy runs out, and if she can present an appeal to economic management and exactly precisely and concisely and concretely mm. what they will do rather than just sloganeering, I, th I think she's got a chance of getting them up the polls. Mm. It is a big pole vault, however, to be able to take on the Prime Minister. Indeed. Yeah. Nikki Kay and Amy Adams, of course, have announced they're stepping down. What, what kind of a loss is that for the National Party? Well, I'm not so sure in the long run it is a loss, apart from the fact of losing two senior women. I mean, the front bench has gone from predominantly women, or majority therefore, to just two women on that uh, first group of 12. Mm. And that lets them down. Uh, I think in Nikki Kay's case, uh, she'd run her course. Um, she, you know, she had broader ambitions to be Deputy Prime Minister. That pathway has gone. She would have been incredibly, um, you know, destroyed and by what happened with Todd. Uh, she wears her heart on her sleeve. But that said, I mean, people don't understand. I mean, during this whole COVID um, mm. crisis, she played a very integral role behind scenes working alongside David Skegg, Peter Gluckman and others mm. to bring advice into the table. She's a prior scientist by calling and she has that kind of brain. So in that sense, she's a miss. Amy was going anyway. Mm. So I don't you know, and what, what happened was Judith said, well, essentially that role of the overseer of COVID and that, well, actually that belongs to me or Jerry. It doesn't belong to you. So you're off, you know, essentially. Yeah. Ifisa, what are your friends in Labour uh, telling you about how they feel about uh, Judith Collins as leader of the opposition? Are they a little more nervous than they might have been two weeks ago? Oh, no, I just think there's a raised level of consciousness. I think the team is all out there. The key, the key messages are direct voter contact, knock on the doors, because yeah. that's where people are going to see it. And people are, <clears throat> excuse me, are very satisfied with Jacinda Ardern's uh, performance. So that's, I think that's National's up against that, that they're, they're buzzing and they're enthusiastic. But I think what National needs to do, if they're to pull vote back, is they've got to pull this election back to the centre because that's where they're going to pick up some of that swing vote. And is Judith Collins the person is the, is the question. What about Winston Peters? Do you see him returning to Parliament? Well, you never say never, would you? No, no, <laughs> it's going to take a very brave pundit that <laughs> yeah, comes out right now that's and right. he's gone. Well, we don't know. I mean, he's supposed to have the bad boys of Brexit giving, giving help from, um, you know, from London in terms mm. of creating a little bit of chaos and, and excitement around there. Uh, you know, I, I think one of the strands was would Shane Jones pick up Northland? It 
he doesn't show hunger up there. That's the problem. When he comes on to your show and others, he, he sounds a bit bored by it all. He doesn't seem to have quite the energy that Winston has, for instance. Mm. Um, it'll be interesting on the policy. I think he had some, you know, fairly interesting explanations around things that are, you know, basically stalemated. Um, but, you know, from a business perspective, uh, in that community, he's actually mm. seen as stopping Labor from doing some policies which they they thought would be antithetical to their own interests. So, very yeah. mixed. Yeah. Fiso, are you prepared to bet against Winston Peters on New Zealand first at this stage of the campaign? No, I'd never write the man off. And you, you look at him. I think pe pe there are certain politicians who get buoyed by the election period, mm. and I think yeah. he's one of them. Judith Always Collins leaves it another. late, too. Leaves his campaign yeah. very late, every, yeah. every yeah. campaign. Yeah, yeah, and he was quick to get the, his policy yeah. out to you off the top of his mind as well. It might not be on the <laughs> website, but it's definitely in his head. Um, I, I just thought we could finish by yeah. maybe having a quick word on... on you know, on mental health, given the events of this week and, mm. and um, given Todd Muller's um, resignation as leader of the National Party, does this tell us something about the pressures of politics, Fran, and, and perhaps whether we are focusing on too much of an adversarial form of politics in New Zealand? Well, I think it possibly does, and possibly also too much nitpicking by the press on things like the mega cap and all, all these, these types of things, which are actually sideshows, but people get swamped mm. by that. I think there needs to be much more um, connection and challenging on the main issues about mm. politics and less on the frippery. But something happens with people in power, and it happens, I've seen it in business as well, when they um, lose, um, lose their footing or make a bad bet in business, you know, face a defeat. Mm. I mean, psychologically, people can have breakdowns. I've seen it in business where people become kind of shambling wrecks mm. for a while. The stronger people get themselves together again and, and move on. I mean, Doug Myers, I remember saying to me one time, and I actually related it to Simon Bridges after mm. he lost his place, you know, like, you know, you've got to see yourself like being a potato and a sack of potatoes, and most of the time you're riding high. And someone's got to come along and shake it and you're down the bottom. But just hang on because the next shake you'll be up nearer the top again. So don't don't be defeated. And I've yeah. always liked that analogy. Yeah. yeah. Hey, thank you so much for your time and insights. We appreciate your time as always. Officer Collins and Fran O'Sullivan. Up next on Q&A, a COVID-free paradise ready for business. Frustration in the Cook Islands as the Pacific bubble fails to progress. And last election, the Civilian Party promised a free llama for every child. Its former leader tells us about his new political mandate. Kia ora te whana. welcome back to Q&A. When it came to planning for bubbles with different countries, the New Zealand government prioritised Australia ahead of any other. But the Aussies haven't wanted a bubble until every individual state has coronavirus under control, and of course that is now a long way off. So, now, our government's attention is turning to a potential arrangement with the Cook Islands, which of course governs in free association with New Zealand, and where residents have New Zealand citizenship. Aitutaki, Aitutaki. Here's Fina Owen. This was one of the last tourist flights to Rarotonga pre-COVID when there were 13 Air New Zealand return flights a week. And a very warm welcome to the Cook Islands, everyone. Now there's just one return flight a week to the South Pacific nation with the enviable status of being COVID-free. And that's been noted internationally. There's actually been an approach from Bollywood 
looking for places that are COVID-free. Fletcher Malvin owns a tourism business and is head of the Cook Islands Chamber of Commerce. Because we're a COVID-free country, we have had a lot of approaches from um, New Zealand companies and other companies around the world um, looking at uh, the possibilities of establishing them um, themselves. But tourism makes up 75% of the nation's GDP and the majority of those tourists are Kiwis. Kiwis who travel agent Rick Valderhoff would be normally sending up to the Cooks in their hundreds this time of year. They're uh, champing at the bit to get up into the Pacific Islands and if Cook Islands is willing to open an air bridge, then they, the demand is definitely there. So how would an air bridge work? Tourists would fly Auckland to Rarotonga and get straight into their holiday and then return to Auckland along with Cook Islanders who want to go to New Zealand and not be required to quarantine on arrival. The two Prime Ministers have been talking about a possible air bridge, but there's a sense now that the idea has lost some momentum. This is desperate, and I, I think that, that one of the key issues is not knowing at all and not having a plan. Now, for instance, if we set the September-October school holidays as a target date, and started to plan and work towards that, then the operators in the Cook Islands would have something to work towards. We would welcome it now. I, we, I think that um, August would be a good date. I have never set a timeline or a time frame around it. Our number one focus has to be making sure that we uh, keep both New Zealanders safe, but also places like the Cook Islands where they are COVID free safe as well. As a realm country, the Cook Islands is self-governing, but with very close economic, historic and community ties with New Zealand. Cook Islands is a very proud, um, uh, uh, very proud Kiwis and Cook Islanders. Cook Islanders first, Kiwis second. And that's why, Fletcher Melvin says, talk straight off of a bubble with Australia did not go down well. I think that is how personal it really it, people have taken it, was, hang on, why is it now that you are looking across at Australia, who actually you have a competition with? I do have a driver's licence for you. But a trans-Tasman bubble is now looking less likely this year. Meanwhile, the Cook Islands government's wage subsidy is due to run out in September. It seems to me a much better way to encourage uh, and, and, and keep their economies going is through a safe the safe tourism dollar rather than direct aid. New Zealand would definitely be the first port of call when it came to um, um, aid. Um, and that's not what we want. Prime Minister Ardern says there are practical aspects to a bubble with the cooks. At the moment, our airports don't separate out individuals who we might be certain are COVID-free from those who are not because when they arrive, there is no way to know for most of the passengers coming in. So we would need very strong physical barriers, different staff interacting with different groups, a number of practical things that would need to be in place. Mike Pirro Real Estate. What? We're talking travel, not real estate. No, Mike Pirro is talking travel to the Cook Islands. He's negotiating with an airline to fly out of Christchurch. There's no international flights coming into Christchurch, uh, whereas Auckland you've got daily flights from all over the world, so there's no chance of uh, contamination or... Uh, uh, so, so we see it as the logical choice. Yeah, so he's talking about an airline out of Christchurch, um, three flights a week, and um, calling it, um, I think it's Jet Raro.
And I think, and I think that might be uh, a hint in the name. Final decision hasn't been made, and quite frankly, the difficulty is the biggest uh, pr problem we have, uh, like everyone, is knowing when the borders will open. And in New Zealand, told Q&A, it looks forward to safe travel between the two nations. It's expected that Aitutaki would be part of any bubble. Tourism and the COVID risk has sometimes been a divisive topic in the island communities. Their communities would have to um, feel um, safe in doing so. Um, we don't, we don't, um, that's, our plan is not to force that upon anybody. Since March, flights which connected the outer islands and its people have been less viable. The Cook's dependency on tourism affects all its citizens. The pros and cons of being a COVID-free paradise. Fenner Owen with that report. Coming up on Q&A, political satirist Ben Uffendell, who's the editor of The Civilian, has our one thing this week. If there's one thing that I would do to fix New Zealand, it would be to make the COVID app more entertaining. Kia ora koutou, welcome back. Finally on Q&A this week, the one thing, you know how it works, we ask different Kiwis the one thing they think would change New Zealand for the better. Comedian Ben Uffendell, who's the editor of The Civilian, has got it covered. Hi, I'm Ben Uffendell, editor of The Civilian and former leader of The Civilian Party. And if there's one thing that I would do to fix New Zealand, it would be to make the COVID app more entertaining. Minister for Everything Chris Hipkins recently scolded us for not using the app enough. But if there's a reason that New Zealanders aren't using the app, it's not that we're stupid and lazy, although we are, it's actually that the app's just not very entertaining to use. We use most apps because they get us food or allow us to desperately attempt to interact with celebrities who'll never acknowledge our existence. But the COVID app does none of these things. So how do we make the app more entertaining to use? In-app purchases. Uh, we allow people to buy custom sounds that play when they sign into restaurants. Rewards. For every 10 scans, you get a free COVID test. And games. What about games? Like a little maze game where you run from a, a virus, or a more difficult augmented reality game where you have to spot Calvin Davis. Leaderboards. Leaderboards are an option. Uh, who has the most negative tests? Who has the most positive tests? Elimination games where you can compete against your friends. Last person to get COVID wins a prize. Maybe first person to get COVID wins a prize. Face filters that allow you to see what you look like if you got COVID. And of course, vouchers. Any good app has vouchers. $300 off your next interaction with IRD. Or maybe one free speeding ticket. If you're gonna ask me to use this app, but you're not gonna give me the opportunity to win a 14-day stay at a quarantine facility, then honestly, what is the point? That has been Uffendell's one thing. Kua mutu, that's Q&A for this week. Thanks for watching. And now, mihi kia koutou ia koutou pānui. Thanks for your contributions. Thanks to the Q&A team. Marae is up next. Hey te rā wiki. We'll see you next Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. Q&A is made with the support of New Zealand On Air.